from his family. He wrote to his family. I want to start. When I saw my family for the first time behind the glass walls, I could see my mom four meters away. As she approached me and saw my face, she broke down and could not get closer. She was crying. I understand what she felt because after weeks of being in solitary confinement in Evan Prison, I also got to see my face in a mirror of an elevator that was taking me to the prison hospital. I said hi to the person staring back at me because I did not recognize myself. My hair was shaven. Under my eyes were swollen three times what they had been. My face was swollen and my beard had grown. It was a few days ago when one of my family members, with weary eyes and after running around for 15 weeks and trying to get me out of prison, said to my dad, he says every single day that this week I will get my son out of prison. But this does not happen, and he is not able to get me out of prison. In that, in that instant, I looked into the wrinkled and tired eyes of my dad, and I can clearly see that he had run around for months and had no strength left in him. It was very hard seeing my family in such a situation. And I start off this morning that way to make me and to make you realize that this is happening today. And we're going to look at Philippians where Paul was in prison, and I sometimes read the Bible and I say, wow, that's great. That was 2,000 years ago. That doesn't happen now. It's not happening right now. Today, right now today, it's happening. You probably have seen the news. I believe it was Pakistan. There's 80 Christians that died in an explosion outside their church. I recently heard of a pastor in Egypt standing in the middle of his church with no walls left. And what he said to the reporter was, it's okay, because we're a church without walls. And we forgive the people who have done this. And they, we pray that they come to know our Lord and our Savior. This is happening today. I want us to read... I will read uh, Philippians 1, 3 to 6 again. So they thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Let's pray. Father... Oh, how we thank you. Oh, how we love you. Oh, how confident we are, Lord, because of your Holy Spirit who lives in us, that you have started a good work in us, and you are perfecting it. You will perfect it until the day of Christ. We praise you for that, Lord, and we thank you for that. In your precious holy name, amen. So Paul was thankful for the Philippians, and we're going to look at three ways here. He's so thankful for the Philippians in so many different ways. He, in Acts 16, gives the story at the beginning of Philippians. It's an amazing story. The story We have Lydia there, who God opens her heart to the gospel. We have the Philippian jailer. It's an amazing story how God started the Philippian church. And Paul is writing to them right now, as we just read, about 10 or 12 years later. And he's writing to them, and he's so thankful. You can't miss the thankfulness here. He's thankfulness, number one, we see for his, their remembrance of him. They remembered him. That's amazing to me. Ten years later, God is causing them to remember Paul. And we see in Philippians 2.25, just that case. Paul wrote, 
But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. In Philippians 4.15, he says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Aphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. So they remembered him, and he remembered them. Because of their partnership in the gospel, they are still proclaiming Jesus Christ. Even after all that's happened, you have to believe in the society that they were living in, there, there would be persecution. It wouldn't be like here where we get to get up in the morning, take our Bibles, go to church, and no one says, hey, where are you going? No, you don't. You're not going there. And we don't have to worry about whether we're going to say we're going to go into the church or not go into the church. But in this case, it's not so. They had to worry about those types of things. And then thirdly, because he was convinced that God had started a work in their life and that he was going to finish it. He was so confident. And one of the main things we have to understand about the message this morning, what God is trying to tell us, is about confidence. The confidence that Paul had in God, not in himself. The confidence that Paul had that God was working in his life and working in the life of the Philippians, and he can clearly see it. Clearly see it. He was thankful, he was prayerful, and he was joyful. You know, we have to uh, just think about the gospel and when we walk in our lives. How, how are we showing people the gospel? I remember many years ago, I had been uh, saved maybe two or three years, and I went to a prayer meeting, and I had just finished a prayer saying, God, thank you so much for what you've done in my life. I praise you, I thank you for saving me. And a believer at the end of that prayer meeting came up to me, a believer, but someone who was a little confused about my prayer. And he basically was saying to me, aren't you saved? Don't you know Jesus? I said, yes, I do. Almost as if to say, well, why would you be making such a big deal about it now? A day should not go by that we do not make a big deal about what God has done in your life. Amen. That people could see what he's doing. They need to see it. They are literally dying. They are dying without Jesus Christ, and they need to hear it, and they need to see it, and they need to embrace it. You know, and then we see Paul here. There's one of the most amazing things to me, because we're all sinners. And you know what it's like when someone steps on your toe or gives you, a, you know, something in the ribs or says something to hurt your feelings. Isn't it amazing to hear what Paul says? I remember you. I love you. I thank God for you. Paul was in prison with Silas. His legs were spread apart. He was beaten beyond belief and almost died. There's no hint of conflict here. It's just, God, I love you for these people. Thank you for them. I want to live my life like that. I want to be like that. I want to look my enemy in the eye and say, I love you because God loves me. There's no bad feelings here. It's amazing. And I, I thought about this during the week, and I was like looking at the Bible and saying, what example can I get of this? What example can we find in the Bible where this is true? And there's so many of them, but one of the most amazing ones to me is Saul. King Saul was so against David, and he wanted to kill him. He, want, he had heard people say, Saul, you know, slaughters thousands. But when they said, David, he slaughters ten thousands, 
I mean, Saul's heart was against David forever, and it never turned back. But his son, Jonathan, look at his son, Jonathan. His father was king, and here comes David. And we know that their hearts were knit together, and Jonathan gives David his sword. He takes his robe off and gives it to David. If that's not a picture, a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for you, and what Christ has done for me, to say, here you go. Everything I have is yours. And that is what he did. And I also think about conflict. Not one person in here does not have conflict in your life. Not one person. And thinking about that, how do we handle it? How is Paul handling it? How do we handle that? And God's love, if he lives inside of you and if you know him, it is moving towards the person in the conflict and not away. And in my life, even being married for 25 years to the most beautiful woman in the world, I drive her crazy. You could laugh. I drive her crazy. And sometimes we have conflict. But what, one of the things is, I'm starting to learn, even at this point, I need to move towards when we have an issue, not away. God is moving towards. He moves towards in love. And that's what Paul is doing here. And I hope and pray you see God moving towards you. That he moves towards you in love. And he wants to have fellowship with you. And I also think of my life about looking at other people and what God has done in their lives. And I pray to God all the time, God, use me. I pray you use me. And then I realize God showed me and convicted me of something. Because there's other people in my life that even have been saved after me. And I see them and they pray and I say, God, I can't pray like that. I see them, they preach. I say, I can't preach like that. And I literally get jealous. And sometimes I'm like a baby. God, I want to be like that. (laughs) But God wants us to look at other people and say, thank you. Thank you for working in their life. Thank you for what you're doing in their life. Praise God for what you're doing and lifting up your church. And that is what Paul was like here. That's what he was doing. And then we see that uh, he's prayerful. His prayer here is directed to God. And so many times our prayers are, God, I need this. God, I need that. And I can say it because that's what I do all the time. God, I need this. I need that. Okay, well, you didn't do that, but I need this. Paul's prayer is God-directed. God, you're awesome. God, you're amazing. God, thank you. And our prayers need to be directed to him. They need to be God-centered. And thinking about our lives, I know here you have a prayer warrior in your life. I guarantee it. There are people praying for you. And you can probably name them. And you probably know that they are lifting you up in prayer. A day does not go by that they don't say, God, please help this person. Paul was one of the most amazing prayer warriors. Look at me. Look at me. Don't look at me. Look at verse 9. <laughs> he writes, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul knows in confidence that God is working in the Philippians' lives. He knows that. But what does he do here? 
He says, God, work more. Give them more love. Give them more faith. Continue to make them grow for your glory and your honor. And don't stop until you come. Those are the prayers that we need to be praying for other people around us. We need to be asking God to work in other people's lives for his glory and his honor. Amen. We never, ever should stop praying. Praying. This morning, uh, two of my brothers put their hands on me this morning and they were praying for me. There is nothing like that in the whole world. And there was a pastor, Chapman, that uh, started at his first church. And he walked into his church and he gave the sermon. And he came down and there was a nice gentleman waiting for him. And he said, um, this is an old church and you're a young pastor. And I really don't think you're going to succeed. What a way to start, right? And, and the man finished, though. I'm going to pray for you, though. And Dr. Chapman said, you know, after he said that, I, I didn't feel too bad. <laughs> and he said the next week, the man brought another person and they prayed. The next week, they brought another person. There were 10. There were 20. 50. I'm going to go as high as 100. How about 219 men, an hour and a half before the service, praying for Pastor Chapman every single week, not including the 18 elders that knelt down around him and put their hands on him. He said it was a joy to preach. I love preaching. Who wouldn't want to preach when that's happening? We need to pray. And I'm guilty of this. I mean, I, I am. And I'm convicted when I read this stuff that, that I should be doing. And then we look at Paul. He says joy. The whole book of Philippians is dripping with joy. Remember, he's in prison, and he's got a guard on one side and a guard on the other side, and I've always found it hard to even imagine that and what that would be like. And maybe this morning you have your own, you know, prison. Maybe you have your own thing on one side and the other side, and you just can't get out of it. You can't seem to go to the right or to the left. And maybe it's sapping the joy right out of your life. Well, Paul gives us great encouragement here, because God is working Pastor Saeed is in that, in that prison. Do you know 30 men have come to know Christ since he's been in that prison through God's working in his life? He cannot recognize his face, but God is working in his life, and people are coming to know him. It's a horrible, horrible thing that's happening to him. But God does work through persecution. I can't make sense of it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But that's what God does. Paul writes in Philippians 1.18, What then? That in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and this I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. There were people preaching Jesus Christ just to make Paul mad. But Paul said, you know what? Go ahead. Because people get to hear the gospel. Again, I want to have that attitude. Go ahead. You can't hurt me. You're telling people about the Lord. That's the joy that we see in Philippians. I'm going to give you some verses. If you want to jot them down, I'm not going to go through each one of them. But Philippians 1.25. Philippians 2.2. Philippians 2.17. 18. 3, 4.1. And 410. Just what you wanted. Come to church and get homework. But I would, if I were you, 
I would read Acts 16. I would look through Philippians and look at all the verses and meditate on them. And let God do his mighty work in your life. You know, I love old hymns. Matter of fact, I love old movies. And uh, my kids will tell you this. Um, I don't understand why they don't like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington or John Wayne. I don't get it. I don't understand why they don't want to sit and watch old movies with me. And you're probably saying, why is he even bringing this up right now? And actually, I have no idea except for the fact that I'm going to be telling you about, I wanted to read an old hymn, and I found a modern one by the Gettys. Just listen to this about joy. They wrote, come, those whose joy is morning sun, and those weeping through the night, come, those who tell of battles won, and those struggling the fight, for his perfect love will never change, and his mercies never cease, but follow us through all your days with certain hope of peace. Rejoice. Rejoice, let every tongue rejoice, one heart, one voice, O church of Christ, rejoice. Amen? Amen. And he is so happy about their partnership in view of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, Paul wrote in Philippians 1.27, Only conduct yourselves in the manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul knew that they were still preaching the gospel. He was so thrilled. If you go in the library, we have pictures in there of all the pastors, including Pastor Musser. If they came back one weekend and heard Pastor Musser preaching, they would be so praising God. They would be thankful to God because that's what's happening here at New Village Church. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will always preach, by God's grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, my family and I sat down to watch America's Got Talent, and I like it. You might have an issue with me, but I kind of like America's Got Talent. I, I like the voice better, but anyway, see, now you know how I spend my time. But we were watching it one night, and I got really excited. They were going to have a gospel group. Wow, a gospel group. It's like, amazing grace, how great, how great thou art. And I just couldn't wait to hear what they were going to sing. So I sat down, even got some popcorn, and I sat there and I kind of waited. And you might have even have seen this. Because maybe you were thrilled too when you saw a gospel group who's going to be on America's Got Talent. So I waited, and I came out, and they sang a Madonna song. I was like throwing my popcorn all over the place. <laughs> what a shame. We cannot get our definition of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the world. And I don't know why I thought I would get it there. That was my fault. We can't get it from the world. I want to just tell you a quick story about the bridge over the River Quad. And this is where my talk about old movies comes in and I put it in the wrong spot. <laughs> But Bridge Over the River Kwai was an awesome movie. And it's about a Japanese prison camp. It's a true story. And the prisoners in that camp were stealing from each other. They were hurting each other. Not just the Japanese guards, but the actual prisoners that were in there amongst themselves. And there were Scottish prisoners in there. And the Scottish prisoners decided, we're going to band together. And there was a young man named Angus. And 
each person, each stronger person had someone who was weaker. And they call that person a mucker. And you had your mucker and you were supposed to take care of him. And Angus did. He gave this man his food. He gave him his blanket. He gave him everything. He prayed for him. And he lived. But not long after Angus died. Because he had no food. And he had no blanket. And he didn't have anything. And he, he gave everything he could to this person. That is what it means for the gospel. Because you know what they did? Instead of getting angry, all the other prisoners, they didn't go and try to kill the guards. They didn't try to go after them. They band together again. And they remembered Angus. And they remembered one said, you know what? I'm a carpenter. And amazingly enough, they made instruments, whatever they could find. There was a professor. There was a doctor. And at the end, there was a university, there was a church, number one, and all the Japanese guards. Not all of them. Some of them attended. Amazing. Is that not amazing? I would like you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. If you've been at New Village long, you, you've heard that. You've heard Pastor Musser say that. And we're going to keep reading those verses over and over and over again. For I delivered you to first importance. Is that first importance in your life? That Christ died for your sins? And it is according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. It doesn't get, it doesn't get any clearer than that. It needs to be first importance in our lives. <coughs> Lastly, I just want to talk about being, a little about being confident. He says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. You know, 15 years ago, I started writing something. I started writing a little book for kids. I love kids. Nothing more awesome than a little kid, especially when you tell them about God. And I wrote, and then I put it away. And then I wrote, and I put it away. I got a little more gray hair, lost a little hair up here. It's 15 years later, and I pretty much have a page and a half. I didn't finish it. I don't know if I will ever, ever finish it. I don't know. But what I can tell you is what we just read here. Paul is confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in him will perfect it until the day of Christ. You know, Paul was writing to Lydia, whose heart was opened up by the riverside. He was writing to the Philippian jailer who was so proud and arrogant and had no problem whipping Paul to death. And he's writing to them that he is confident that God is working in their life, he's perfecting it, and he's going to finish it. Swindoll says this, the one who had begun the work would stay at it, perfect it, and finish it. You know, and perfect is the same root word here that John uses in his gospel when Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is 
finished. God is at work in your life. God is at work in my life. Now at the end here, I just want to go through some verses that we need to know. We need to live by these verses, having confidence that God is working in our life. He is never, ever, ever, ever going to stop. Ever. Philippians 2.13 For it is God whose work in you, who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 2 Timothy 1.12 For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Keep that in the, in the flyleaf of your Bible. Keep that handy. And my favorite, John 10, 27 to 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. You cannot die if you have Jesus Christ in your heart. If you have trusted in him, turned away from your sins, you cannot perish. You will not die. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then we have to ask, why does God do this? Why is God working in your life? Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. It starts out with husbands, love your wives. Now listen. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church, that's us, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless, and that is why God is doing what he's doing. Maybe you came in this morning and, and, and you're like, what's that guy saying up there? You know, 25 years ago, I walked in that church, in this church, maybe 26 years ago, and uh, I had no intention of accepting Jesus Christ. I was following a beautiful woman. And I did. And I came here and I sat in the pew and the man got up and he held, opened the Bible and he started to talk and I went, like I couldn't leave and I've never left and I probably never will it is an amazing thing what God does so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you came in here this morning and maybe you just followed a pretty girl who knows consider what God is saying consider the gospel that we read please consider it I want to end I know I've said I want to end three times already. You're probably saying, this guy's in. He never ended. Um, I was counting. I do want to end, and then I want to end again, because I do have two things. So I want to end uh, reading a little more of Pastor Saeed's letter. I heard that the persecution, my arrest and imprisonment, has united churches from different denominations, from different cities and countries, that would never come together because of their their denominations, or their differences, that the churches have united together in prayer for one request, my freedom, on one day. You don't know how happy I was in the Lord and rejoice knowing that in my chains, the body of Christ has chained together and brought 
to action and prayer. When someone's life like mine is in danger, we realize how different we are in our opinions. But that we still are still united with one goal of praying for my freedom. I am thankful for that. It is through your prayers and the grace of God that the Lord is using me here in my chains. Many have been freed from the chains of Satan here and have been saved and added to the church. See, he is confident. He is doing God's work. Again, his family couldn't recognize what he looked like. And yet he is looking at his enemy in the eye and saying, God loves you. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we are confident that you are working in our lives. You have started it, you're perfecting it, and you're going to finish it. And we lift up Pastor Saeed, not just him, but all the martyrs, all the men and women who are in prison right now. Throughout the whole world, there are so many of them. Men, women, and children standing up for the gospel. Father, I can't help but think that we at New Village Church, coming very close, that we will need to stand up and proclaim Jesus Christ in the face of persecution. And when that happens, Lord, make us ready. Make us strong. Make us proclaim Christ even unto death. In your precious holy name, amen. Okay, now I want to end. If I don't fall down. Uh, I originally had planned to do a hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. And then I thought, this poem that you have in your bulletin, if you take it out, is an amazing way of saying, Lord, take my life and let it be. Take my life and let it be. This poem was written by a young man in 1980, a Rwandan, who his tribe asked him to renounce Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He refused, and they murdered him on the spot. This poem was found in his room that he had written the day before. So I'd like to read this, if you follow along with me. And excuse me, because I didn't realize I'd need a gallon of water, so... I will do my best, and then I will give the benediction. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, lavish wealth, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops, or recognized, or praised, or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by the Holy Spirit's power. My face is set, my gait is fast, 
my goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Amen.